This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. Revving up the weekends with news and views on all things motoring. Yes, like the good man said, it is Fender Bender. It is a Saturday afternoon on Joy 94.9. Forgive me for that little moment of silence there. I just like I like a bit of time to think for myself, you know. Just gets my head clear before I go on air and do another hour of motoring fun on Joy 94.9. We have a huge week, tons of local news, tons of uh, international news, and we'll even be talking to a very important man. Uh, he is the uh, Chief Executive of the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries. We'll be talking to him a little bit later. But in the meantime... We have so much to catch up on. I'm joined by two very handsome chaps in the studio, but I'm not going to introduce them just yet. I'm going to let you have a little bit of uh, one more time by Daft Punk. We'll be back for another episode of Fender Bennett after this. You're on Joy 94.9. I am taking the helm for another week of motoring madness. Uh, my name is Daniel Gardner. Thank you so much to the boys from uh, Critical Hit. Uh, very amusing to watch them wandering around the studio with virtual reality goggles on. But, you know, whatever. And they call that... A show, you know, uh, but you're joined by uh, <laughs> you're joined by myself, Daniel Gardner, and uh, the laughter of another a fine gentleman over there, Mike Costello. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm good, mate. I uh, I once wore uh, virtual reality goggles, and I felt really kind of dizzy and discombobulated and thrown out after I took them off. So I don't know if that was just me or if that's a normal thing. Um, what what does discombobulated mean? <laughs> like confused. Okay, great. Yeah. If you could just say confused next time, that would save any discombobulation from me. That's a little too layman for Mike Costello, I think. <laughs> and the other voice you can hear is another Mike. Mike Hello. Stevens, thank you very much for coming back to the Joy 94.9 studios. Great thank to have you, you back. Thank you for having me on. Uh, for the, just today, I will be renaming myself Steve, uh, Mike so that uh, we're all Mikes. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel a bit territorial. Like, I feel like I should be the only Mike. That's not well, like as, the, as the oldest Mike here. With Fender Bender. It should know. be me, really. Okay, well, uh, we'll we'll fight this out in a break. Maybe, who's maybe. The, there can be only. He's one. got a longer reach. It's like Highlander, there can be only one Mike. Mm. Uh, boys, thank you so much for uh, for joining us for Fender Bender. It's thank been you. it's been a really busy couple of weeks actually. Uh, tons going on. And as we typically do, we're going to jump straight into the local news. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to start with some bad news. Mm. Uh, not great news. Now, uh, our dear listeners may have heard about uh, one of the... Well, it's now become the largest motor, motoring recall of all time. Mm. Uh, uh, there's a company called Takata that make airbag um, generators. And they found that they have been defective in a number of instances. In the US, uh, they think that it has accounted for the deaths of six people. Uh, so, not great news. All for a specific brand, too. E- yes, yeah. Mm. Now, which one? That's just not good. Is it we'll not going to there. say? No, well, no. <laughs> the, the main issue here is it's irrespective of the car companies that yeah. have fitted the, the inflators, it's the, the company Takata is to blame. So, they've now extended this recall to uh, now it's over 50, 50 million cars. Yes, and it's not just the biggest motoring related recall of all time, it's the biggest recall of all time. Right. Any okay. product of any sort in the history of man. It's the hell biggest of a, recall um, there's ever been. Hell um, of a record to have against your name. Mate. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there's been a couple of monsters lately. You know, Toyota recalled, you know, or GM recalled 30 million just last year and yeah. into this year. So, you know, the fact that people are making things on mass now means that it's more likely you're going to get these huge recalls, but more than 50 million um, propellant related issues with, with these airbags. 
they go off if you have a collision and there's a risk of shrapnel being thrown around. There's been almost half a million cars in Australia recalled alone. There was just 30,000 just this morning, uh, late-gen Subaru Impreza's. Uh, most of these cars are from the early to mid-2000s. And, you know, this is affecting a number of Japanese brands and it's affected a few European brands in the past. But it's just staggering the scale and you don't really know when it's going to when it's going to stop. And the other concern is because Takata has to make 50 million replacement parts. Absolutely, yeah. The Toyota, at least, has come out and said, look, we might not have all the replacement parts until early 2016. So you could be driving around in a car with a potentially faulty airbag that could hurt you for the next six to eight months. And it's not the car maker's fault, but nevertheless, it's a worrying situation. The frightening thing is you've already been driving around with that potentially faulty airbag since the mid-2000s. Yeah, and now you have to crash and it has to deploy. It's not going to deploy on its own. But then if it does, you're at potentially at risk. And, and also the other contributing factor, we're told, is um, the, the problem has arisen from high humidity uh, uh, ingressing the actual inflator itself. That's and, right. And it's that, the, the moisture that is making the um, propellant unstable. So there's, there's actually quite a specific set of circumstances that have to happen. And all of the really unfortunate instances in the US have been in very high humidity areas. So, you know, it does take a, a quite a, an unlikely set of circumstances. But because of, because of the sheer numbers involved, that's why we're seeing, you know, there are instances where, unfortunately, it is happening. Um, the cars uh, affected are Toyota, Nissan, uh, you said Subaru this morning. Honda's been affected. And, and Honda also. There's a in few the, Euro brands In the as well, past, BMW has uh, yeah. called in. Chrysler's been affected at some point. I mean, you're finding Takata makes 20% of the world's airbags. And sure. Carmackers don't make their own airbags. So Takata's one of the biggest. So, you know, theoretically, this could just keep going. If your car is affected, then the relevant manufacturer will be getting in touch with you uh, via post. So don't worry. You don't have to do anything. If your car is one of the ones affected, um, then you will hear about it. Moving on, uh, other local news. Um, those dear people at Holden, now uh, we were told that uh, 270 people would be made redundant. Um, and that was an announcement made a few weeks back. Uh, they asked for voluntary redundancies of those first uh, workers and they didn't get quite the numbers they wanted. So unfortunately, Holden has, ha has had to resort to making involuntary redundancies. Um, and those the first ones were announced this week. Uh, Holden isn't saying exactly how many people. Uh, it's understood it's about 80 to 90. Um, but it is sad news, and this is only going to go on until Holden's uh, departure of local manufacturing in 2016. Yeah, it was production scales down. They're not going to keep the same numbers. No, they'll just steadily right. decrease as time goes by, and this is you know, the first of a few steps they'll probably have to make. Sure. Um, so, watch this space. We will keep you uh, updated on that. Now then, that's the bad news out of the way. Now yeah. we can start talking about nice things. And one of those nice things is the Toyota Hilux. Are we in agreement on the Toyota Hilux? How nice a thing is the Toyota Well, Hilux? it's sort of nice in a sort of brash, vulgar way, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So, obviously, the, uh, the new Hilux revealed in Sydney and Thailand uh, this week. What do you think? Uh, it doesn't look a huge amount different to me, but I think no. it's a classic example of, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Kind and of looks like the previous Kluger at the front. A little bit, Before yeah. the facelift. Yes, mm. yeah, agreed, actually. Mm. Well, we're going to be seeing a hell of a lot of them on the road. We the will. Hilux has been the top-selling commercial here for decades and is one of the top-selling vehicles of any sort, you know, absolutely destroys its rivals yeah. uh, and is the most famous legendary commercial there is, and with good reason. Um, so, look, I think it looks 
pretty damn good, actually. It looks a lot tougher and butcher than before. And Toyota's really had to step up its game because of rivals like the Ranger and the new Navara that's coming out, all of which have a lot more equipment. They're more passenger-focused. They're safer. They're more luxurious. And the Hilux has never been any of those things, and the new one has elements of that. So you're really seeing this kind of taming of the of the, of the the Hilux, but they're saying it's also going to be as tough as ever. So I guess we're going to have to wait and see. And it's an interesting evolution of pickups, too, because they are becoming more popular as a recreational vehicle, as a, even as a family car. So the photos of the new Hilux show a really almost SUV-like uh, dash and, yeah. and cabin in general, which you just haven't seen on pickups in decades past. And it's the same with the new uh, Navara, the updated Ranger. They're all being designed now to be far more appealing as a family option. And we, we, love a, we love a big high-riding pickup in Australia, don't we? Yeah. It's just, it's They're not all tradies that own them, that's for sure. That is yeah. so true. And very few of them actually ever go off-road as well. We yeah. certain of that. Yes, well, we will have to see how that pans out. Uh, would you buy one, Mike? Look, if I was in the market for a dual cab, I'd probably still go the Ranger. I think they're up the forthcoming updated range is still a pick. Mm. But the Hilux, you know, it's it's the most famous and the most bought for a reason. I probably go Well the Ranger is the most bought now, I think, in New Zealand. I think it overtook yeah. the Hilux. Oh, yeah. right. so and it's catching in Australia. And uh, Toyota told me recently that they might be a bit tight on supply of the new one. So, you know, they might not have quite as many to so sell. They've got as their they excuse ready if it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, it's all supply, trust me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, we're going to have to go to just a very quick break, but we'll be back straight after this with lots of talk about uh, sports cars, but yeah. I'll leave that until after the break. Uh, if you Do you mean like- the Kia Soul? If you want to get in touch with us here in the studio at Joy 94.9, you can get in touch via text 0427JOY949 or you can email us on air at joy.org.au. You are on Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. My name is Daniel and this is Fender Bender, the weekly hour of motoring mayhem. Well, hopefully not mayhem. Just, just <laughs> a little light. mayhem as possible. I'll set up for, for a light chat. Sure. <laughs> you are joined by uh, Mike and Mike. And this week I'm just going to call myself Mike. Well, which, as well. which Mike is first? Well, is, I've, I've got this whole bragging right thing that I'm really wheeling out at the moment. That's fine. You can have that. But then it becomes even more confusing because we're speaking into mics as well. So wow. you're on mic three, Mike, and you're on mic two, Mike, and I'm mic one, Mike, Mike. So you're mic one. Mike. Ah, oh, now Mike's going to get funny about that because he wanted to be Mike One. I don't understand how he gets to be Mike One. I'll, I'll be honest, guys, this is not desperately stimulating He's radio. So I reckon we'll probably hop <laughs> right, right onto right, the cars. Right. Yep. Before the break, we were talking about something, a little sports car that everyone gets very excited about every time it is announced for Australia, and it is the fourth generation Mazda MX-5. This is a car that has developed quite a cult following in uh, in it all its years. It was launched in the late 80s, and it has just arrived back. Um, we got pricing. We got pricing. Now, this is quite a, this is big news because one of the criticisms of the MX-5 to date has it has slowly insidiously crept up in price insidiously so and, and you say I use too many big words <laughs> okay alright well, I'll, I'll rein in as well then if you can we promise go. you can um, now yes the outgoing <laughs> MX-5 was nearly I think we're up to sort of like about 50 grand it was pushing we? 50k yeah, which is yeah, I think ridiculous went out at 47 something yeah yeah but the new one whoa 32 grand mm. so we are back to the halcyon days sorry I've done it again that's another long word in there if you like mm. back you're, to you're the- intransigent <laughs> with your use of big words aren't you Daniel <laughs> but yes 32 grand well the first one was just a tick under 30 and this new one is in every single feasible way a more advanced car for 32 it's incredibly good value and it's as good a value as the 86 was when it launched for 29990 all those years ago now it's as big a deal as that was then in my opinion and it's an unbelievable starting price nobody saw it coming everybody thought maybe they'll scrape it in under 40 mm, if that's they're what I was really really to. negotiating hard but nope 32 now we should say this is for the entry level one that's something 1. they're 5. doing that's right so this for this uh, generation of the MX-5 we're going to get two engine sizes there's going to be a 2 litre which they haven't announced 
price uh, for at the moment. But this is for a 1.5. They're hoping to, to attract a more a younger audience um, and uh, um, someone with not as much cash as the retirees that seem to buy the, yeah. uh, the outgoing one. It's not the size of the engine, Dan. It's how you use it. No, it's okay? the size. So and it's a very light car, so, <laughs> so it's going to be can just we, fine. Uh, where can we expect the two-litre to come in if we're all surprised by the 1.5? Are we still going to be under 40, do you think, or are we talking closer to 45? I think I think it could be under 40. It'd be a huge leap if it were 45, so you'd like to think it would still come in in the high 30s. Sub 30. Mm. Sorry, sub, sub 40. 40. Sub 40. <laughs> <laughs> sub 30. Wow, that'd be amazing. Um, yeah, 37, 38 grand, I yeah. would suggest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so either way, both of them are remarkable pricing, all things considered. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is going straight for the jugular of the Toyota 86 Subaru BRZ, which is the small rear-wheel drive coupe. Mm. Now, obviously, you don't have a convertible roof, um, but even so, that is a budget sports car that people have been flocking to in droves, yeah. and Mazda's trying to steal back a little bit of that attention that yeah. the 86... And the sales on the 86 are dropping off slowly. I mean, it's been out for a few years yeah. now. Um, so that might help the MX-5, uh, you know, something new, the latest thing. What um, what do you reckon they can generate a little bit of extra sales for the 86 and the BRZ? This is a rhetorical question. Well, let's talk about a facelift on the way. Well, the market's fickle. It always happens with sports cars. You know, the people are really desperate for one, buy it early on. And, and after that, it's sort of, there's something fashionable about sports cars. You mm. want the latest, you want the most interesting. And the new MX-5 will be that car because mm. it's even smaller than the first generation car. It's as light almost as the first gen car. It's in every way taking it back to the genesis of the vehicle. And it's going to have the whole, you know, novelty thing on its side. So I think it's going to take all before it. You know uh, how I think they could generate a few more sales with 86 and BRZ? 25 grand. Power. All right. That's what it doesn't have. Number one complaint. Completely. Mm. Well, you know, just... You don't don't need more power in that car. Oh, don't be one of those, Mike. You don't. You do. (laughs) All MX-5 owners and 86 owners say the exact same thing. You don't need it. It's not what the car is about. It, well, I'm about power. So totally. In exactly the same way if that you want my sale. Porsche Boxster owners say, no, it's not a cheap 911, honestly. Yeah. Well, Boxster's a pretty amazing car these days. It is. And that's an entirely different talk topic, <laughs> which I didn't actually have in the schedule. So if we could move on to... He's, quite, he's quite the disciplinarian today, isn't he? He's <laughs> yeah, stopping yeah. us from going off We've on segways. a very long list. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're just dying, Mike Stevens, to talk about the Kia Soul. It's funny that you say that because I am probably the biggest fan, if not the only fan, of the Soul in the whole country. I really like it. I loved it at the launch. There's actually not just one other in the country. There's one other in this studio. You like the no, Soul? No, I like the Soul. I'm a big fan of the Soul. Too. Oh, there you go. There we yeah. go. We're united. That's Kia's problem. Only we motoring journalists a, like the Soul. <laughs> if we all buy a Soul, they'll sell three next month yeah. because the new pricing, I just don't know. And what, double their predicted sales? Yeah, maybe. Well, they. the funny thing is they sold more last month than they did for the same month the previous year. But now they've put the pricing up. They've gotten rid of the manual option. You can only choose from three colours, and two of them are a six hundred dollar option. So. <laughs> Here's what baffles me about the Soul: like the market at the moment is all about tiny, tiny, tiny little crossover SUVs, like the Mazda CX-3. If Kia marketed the Soul as a like crossover, that, because mm. none of those cars are four-wheel drive, this car isn't four-wheel drive. It's a boxy, high-riding, small car. It really should be kind of you know part of the zeitgeist thing that's seeing everyone buying small SUVs, and yeah. yet. Key can't sell any of them. And it sells like bananas in the US. Yeah, they love it. it there. They can't awesome. get enough of it. It's a cereal box on wheels it's with two-tone strange. paint. It looks mm. really cool. looks interesting. The last one had a diesel, which was great. And this yes. one doesn't, which is a shame. It's a bit underpowered now. But it still remains the, the funkiest car that Kia have. And Kia has a pretty funky lineup. So, you know, uh, it's one of those little little unknown gems mm. floating around in the market. It's a strange thing, isn't it? I, I do hope they can do something about that because I, I actually really like the manual as well. I don't think we'll see it for much longer. I think they've missed the boat on the sole. Yeah. Shame. I don't think you can turn that around. But I, Is it all down to a marketing thing, though? If, if you could somehow market that as a crossover... I don't think you'd spend the money on it. No, maybe you're right. It's too big a risk. 
Oh, oh dear. Know. Getting into the... the oh, dear, Kia. <laughs> yes, bless the soul. See what I did there? <laughs> that, was, that was pretty good. We didn't rehearse that, I promise. That no. just came out. No, it's all kind not, of Not good enough to have been rehearsed. It's pretty good off the <laughs> It's all in the delivery. <laughs> Moving overseas. Now then, Audi has done something uh, quite interesting. I think it's interesting because I'm a bit of a geek. Um, but they have developed, the Audi, the German car maker, have developed a synthetic petrol isn't all petrol synthetic? N- well, no, because it comes from an organic matter. You know, mm. so crude oil is is also oh, just organic. like its root form, right? So yeah. this is wow. Is this, is could this be the solution to the world's impending oil shortage? Perhaps they can what, only produce it in small quantities at the moment. At the moment, yes. Mm. So they're, they're working with um, a, a global alternative fuels maker. So Audi and uh, the name of the other company escapes me. Um, they have developed the system to do it. At the moment, they have to start with. Um, sucrose from from corn so they're they're using sugar that's the form of energy and from that they can turn it through a process into synthetic octane and then they can make it into effectively a petrol pure octane Um, and that's all from a plant product but what they're saying they can do in only the next sort of few months is they will do away with the entire organic base so that's what i was about to say that's not entirely synthetic no no it's not (laughs) so now what they're going to do is they're just going to use sunlight and a process themselves it doesn't involve involve a plant at all just hydrogen, water, some sunlight, and they're saying they're going to be able to develop this and make, scale it up to be large scale. God, that sounds like we can make our own petrol. I've got sunlight, I've got water. And it's exactly what they're saying they can do. They're taking taking the plant wow. out of the equation. I know. Now, that's exciting, isn't it? I'm so pleased you reacted why hasn't that. Been, why hasn't that been front-page news? I mean, the, you know, is doom and gloom about, you know, potentially at peak oil, et cetera, et cetera. We need to find new alternatives. Mm. I guess the, the questions that come to mind are how green is this you know, fuel. If it's if there's still going to be internal combustion cars using this power source, are they still going to be pumping CO two into the climate? Or? Well, uh, that, I'm pleased you asked. Mm. And again, this was not rehearsed. If hydrogen's an element, then perhaps not. Well, what the the thing that is better about the um, e benzene, as Audi is calling it, is it doesn't have sulphur in because it doesn't come from the ground. Mm. It's a very pure form. So already emissions are down using the, the synthetic fuel. Yes, you still produce carbon. That's just that's a, a fact that you can't get away from. But it's certainly cleaner now. I don't think Audi is suggesting we just replace all fuel use with uh, fossil fuel use with this. I think what they're saying is this is actually a, a good stopgap in between going entirely to renewable yeah. energies. It sounds like it would have to be a huge investment in this thing, though, and considering I think most people would agree we're moving towards either hydrogen fuel cell vehicles or electric vehicles or both, so they must be spending a lot of money on this stopgap. They are, and also the company Global Bioenergies, which now returns to me. I did, I did. All I needed was a moment. You know, this uh, old age comes to me. Uh, yes, they are investing a huge amount, and they're actually now building uh, mm. another facility to make the fuel in larger quantities. So, yeah, a huge investment, but they clearly think it's worthwhile. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be <laughs> making a, f- a renewable petrol? Because that's effectively can, what it is. That's the biggest upside to it: is if it can run with a regular car, if you don't have to. If it's only if it, if it were only available to brand new cars that came out tomorrow, then that's not as big an upside. If I can run it in my ten year old car, I'm interested. Absolutely. So. Well, it's very high octane. It's a hundred octane. Yes, it is. Yeah. So uh, it's high performance fuel. And I have a high performance family wagon, so <laughs> it's not high <laughs> performance at all. Let us know. Come on, what is it, Mike? It's a, just a Subaru. <laughs> the airbag is fine though. I'm, yeah. I'm told. So, yeah. <laughs> so exciting stuff. I will be keeping an eye on that and keeping you updated with the synthetic fuel. Um, moving uh, further uh, around Europe, we have a new announcement from the good people at Fiat. They have launched uh, a new car called the... Now, How do we pronounce this? I, do, I actually don't know. It's the... Agia? Agia? Palindromes are always a problem. Agia? A- Agia? If this were Aesop's fables, it would be the Agia. Well, well isn't there the AGNC? Oh, the, uh, yeah, Aegean. The Aegean. Yeah, yeah. Or the Aegean. So, so we reckon the Aegean. this is named after that. The Aegean. The Aegean. Okay. Okay. Right, and it's not even Aegean. the final name. 
So let's not even worry about how to pronounce it. No, because they're calling it the, the Fiat Agia Project at the moment, aren't mm. they? That's what it's called. That's its full name, which is... Le- Sorry, Fiat. That's a stupid name. <laughs> Just call it the Agia, all right? Um, now, it's not coming to Australia. It is going to over 40 countries around the world. Mm. Uh, Emerging markets. Yes, yeah. left-hand drive only. It's, it's, a bit, it's a bit budget, but it's a decent-looking thing. It looks great for a budget car. It, absolutely. I've yeah. already seen a rendering of it as the BMW 1 Series sedan. Oh, that looks really? great, too. So. But excellent. <laughs> this ties into a bigger issue, the fact that it's going to be left-hand drive only at this point, because, you know, the new Chevrolet Camaro won't be coming to Australia as a Holden. The new Chevy Volt won't be coming to Australia as a Holden for the same reason. There's a whole bunch of other models out there that are still left-hand drive only. Car makers keep doing this. Make your cars in right-hand drive. It's a significant is, portion. Is it possible that they're just trying to push us to switch to left-hand drive? <laughs> yeah. so, what's easier, that. us switching or them building there every enough, single There are car enough right crappy drive. drivers out there already. I can't yeah. imagine how bad it would be if we had to swap sides. But, um, well, Sweden did it, didn't they? They did. That's right. But that's why Volvos are so safe, because there were so many collisions. Well, dozens yeah. of countries swap sides of the road. Yeah. They had to prepare for yeah. the massive increase in crashes. Mm. Uh, no, we will not be. We're not breaking that news here today. <laughs> we are not changing over to driving on the other side of the road. Uh, and uh, we, I wanted to talk to you, uh, Mike. You picked up this story first thing this morning. Good work on that. It was uh, unveiled BMW's next concept. Uh, oh, of course. It's in a series of, um, they call them homage. The, the homage cars. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, this is, you tell us about this. This is a fantastic car. It's the uh, BMW 3.0 CSL homage which of course uh, pays tribute to the e9 3.0 csl of the 70s a racing car uh, so it is therefore a, a ridiculous looking car very mm-hmm. crazy the the rear wing is integrated into the tail lights that sort of thing so it's just a, a crazy car and all of the homage concepts are we don't know what drives it we do know that it's a turbocharged petrol engine with some electric assistance don't know how much it makes and of course it's a three liter it would have to be in line of course of course uh, we don't know well, we know that they aren't going to build it. It's purely just to, to pay tribute to that original car. Um, and they revealed it at the Concorso di Eleganza, which is... Whoa, that was good. Mm-hmm. I did Italian for 12 That years. was great. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you did that, because I kind of I had a bit yeah. of practice and it was crap but anyway. Th- the greatest thing about it is that it doesn't look like it's just a 4-series coupe or a 3-series or no. with some bits tacked on. It's, uh, I think it has a shorter wheelbase as well, just visually. It looks pretty stumpy, yeah. It does. So it's a, quite a wild thing. I'm not 100% sold on the front. But the profile and the rear are astonishing. It is gorgeous. I'd be pretty happy to we urge you to go online and mm. have a look for these images if you haven't seen them already. Um, not out of the question for BMW to build a really outrageous looking car. Look at the i8. Well, remember that the i8 came from. There was Absolutely. that. One of the earlier homage concepts was the inspiration for the M8. Of course, the M1 course. as well. Yep. Um, but that's how these things start. There you go. Mm. Uh, we're going to stick around. We've got another half an hour of, t- of car talk on Joy 94.9. This is Fender Bender. We're going to go to just a short break, but we will be back talking to a very important, influential gentleman in the automotive industry I'm already after here. this. You are on Joy 94.9. My name is Daniel. This is Fender Bender. The weekend's motoring... I'm, I've said it before, but... The I'm, weekend's I'm, best motoring I'm going to say is Joy's best motoring show. <laughs> And I'm not going to say why I can so confidently say it's that. It's a hard-fought segment, Joy's motoring All right, show, okay, though. you had to go and say that, didn't you? <laughs> yes, all right, it is the only motoring show on Joy. Uh, uh, now, in that, uh, in that last break, while we were listening to... Mike, what was that song? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, it was by that? Best Coast. Yeah. And I think it's called Feeling Okay. Good choice. That was Mike's pick. Yeah. If you hated it, it's then it's not my fault. If you liked it, I'm prepared to take credit yeah. for it. We had yeah. a message uh, from one of our listeners in the last break from Jesse saying, uh, should I buy a Peugeot 208 or a VW Polo? That's a really good question. And is it okay it gives if I us, say neither? It gives us a chance to give useful consumer advice. And no, Mike Stevens, it is not. <laughs> um, look, you know, they're both ch- uh, chic, cool European light cars. I mean, the, the 208 has a lot to like. It's very light. It's very nimble. It's quite 
quite funky looking. In my opinion, the Polo is the better car. However, mm. what about you, Mike? I think the Polo is the better driving car, and I think it's a better looking car as well. Obviously, that's subjective. Um, but I quite like the 208, and as you say, it does have a quirky little French style of its own. So if you're looking from a styling perspective, well, in the, the Peugeot is going to stand out. In terms of overall refinement, drivetrain performance, mm. in terms of um, engineering, in my opinion, having driven both pretty extensively, the Polo is the better car. But when it comes to things like CD cars like this, so much of it is subjective style. So if you are particularly attracted to one of the two cars, don't hesitate. They're both really good cars. You're not going to go wrong with either. Um, from an objective point of view, I think the Polo wins. Ownership costs, neither of them are the cheapest in the segment. You want to go for something like a Kia Rio if you want something super cheap to run. But, you know, if you want that little premium Euro hatch, both good. Nose to the Polo. There you go. Hope that answered your question, Jesse. Mm. Um, now, if you were going to buy a new Peugeot 208 or a VW Polo, you could go into a dealership in Australia and order one there. Or, oh. if the current rules that are being dis discussed uh, for a change go through, then you might actually be able to import your own. Now, this has caused quite a lot of controversy in the industry. Um, to, at the moment, you're not allowed to import a personal import yourself. You have to go through either a, um, a registered importer. Uh, there are various businesses out there that have been uh, authorised to do that. Um, but uh, to get a little perspective on this, we are very lucky to be joined by Tony Weber, who's the Chief Executive of the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries. Uh, Tony, are you there? Yes, I am, Daniel. Thank you so much for being with us on Fender Bender today. Um, now then, how, just explain the implications of this potential change to us and how the industry generally feels about it. Okay. Well, the, the murdered suggestion is that you can go to a dealership anywhere in the world uh, and buy a car and bring it back to Australia. You as an individual, that is, personally importing your own vehicle from any dealership anywhere in the world. And uh, it sounds like a really good idea until you start thinking about it for a few minutes. And uh, when you think about it, the problem is who's going to service that car when you get back because... The car may well look like the one the bloke down the road drives, but the probability is it will be a different car because it's made for a different market and all the cars made for Australia are exactly that. They are made for Australian conditions. So they have the right size radiators in it so it doesn't overheat in the, in the, wind, in the summers. It has the right air conditioning systems. It has the capacity to tow. And the car you buy from overseas may not be suitable for Australian conditions. And then you're orphaned because you take it to the local dealer and he doesn't have the diagnostic tool to tell you what's the matter with the car. Uh, parts become an issue because whilst it looks the same, once you open the bonnet, it has different parts in it. There's a whole myriad of issues here that need to be examined before you go down this path and... Uh, being portrayed as just like buying another pair of shoes on the internet from somewhere in the world is not the reality of the situation. So what you're saying is in, initially people could save themselves a buck by getting a potentially cheaper car from overseas, but actually it'll come back to bite them when they try and do any kind of repairs or resale potentially. Is resale value an issue here as well? Oh, I'm sure resale will be a huge issue. Um, these cars will be devalued in the marketplace because... The problems that exist about personally importing a car that's built from the market will become known in the market and people will pay uh, a price that reflects that risk and uh, the car that you've imported will be lot worth a lot less than the 
the second-hand market in Australia. Tony, what's to stop some savvy entrepreneur from starting a business, importing uh, a bunch of parts for, say, vehicles from overseas that we don't get here and creating some kind of parallel servicing scheme? And, and wouldn't that potentially nip some of these issues in the bud? Well, it would. The problem with that, Daniel, is that there's about 360 different models on the road in Australia uh, sold today. And if you go back for, for 20 years, which is the how long a car normally lasts on the road in Australia, that means there's an awful lot of model. So there's an awful lot of parts and there's an awful lot of diagnostic tools that have to be bought in. So the reality is that's unlikely to happen because even if you buy a car like a Toyota Camry, one of the, the big world cars, you don't know that it's the same as the one that's actually sold by the Toyota dealer here in Australia. And so who is wanting this change to happen? I mean, it sounds like you, we, we know which side you're of the argument you're on there. Who, who is for it? Who is saying that this is a good idea? Well, the federal government's actually just examining at the moment. Um, it's, it's been through Cabinet and it's going back to the Cabinet later this year. So they're examining it, but there does seem to be a bit of a push and uh, we've had the uh, competition policy review led by Professor Harper suggest it was a good idea. And we've had the Productivity Commission actually look at it and think it's a good idea. Well, to those people, I'd say it's a very good textbook idea. It's not a very good idea in reality. And that's the problem. That when we drive our cars, we live in the real world and we have to look after them and service them. And we need a car that actually will work properly in Australian conditions. And we're not sure that that will be the case with personal imports. Uh, Tony, we've heard from a couple of uh, the senior executives of Australian car makers that... Um I can jump in here. Actually, I had a question, um, and that is... It, potentially, we just we were talking earlier in the show about this uh, Takata recall, where the airbag inflators have um, have had to come back, and there's been a huge global uh, recall, the biggest in history, in fact. And mm. it, um, personal imports. If someone had imported a car into this country themselves, are they going to necessarily get the right advice when it comes to a recall? If it was one of those Japanese brands that had the airbag inflator in it, well, that's a really good example because there you're outside the dealer network. So now, if you get a recall as there is on the Toyota and doesn't have recalls on at the moment with this airbag issue, you get a letter to say, take it to the dealer. But you're outside that network, so therefore you have to scan around the world and know whether your car is one of the one of those cars in, in a group of 50 million worldwide with this recall. And there'd be a whole number of recalls around the world. So you'd have to work out yourself because the, the car company doesn't know that you own the car, unlike the cars that come through the dealership. Tony Webber, Mike uh, Stevens here. Yeah, Mike. Uh, so, obviously, you've, you've made some good points here about what the downsides to it are. If the Productivity Commission uh, is interested in the idea, what's got them on board? Obviously, you could buy a car cheaper, but it seems pretty black and white that this is a terrible idea. Well, I agree entirely with you. Um, the Productivity Commission's live in sort of a textbook world and they think that because you can buy a pair of shoes and uh, if it works, it can work for any product because they say more competition is good. Well, Australia has an enormous amount of competition in the car market. There's 67 different brands in Australia and that's more than what there is in the US, in uh, Canada and the UK, all the major markets. This is the most competitive market. And what that does is prices in Australia are incredibly low lower today than they have been any time since 1975 when the Commonwealth Bank 
have been doing their index on price of affordability for vehicles. So it's quite a remarkable environment we're in. And you see that all the time. New cars are coming up cheaper and cheaper. Uh, and the Productivity Commission says, well, more competition is good. So it's just a very fundamental perspective that they're coming from and not a, not a driver's perspective and not a real-world perspective, I would argue. Um, it is a contentious issue and it is a hot topic and we will be keeping an eye on that closely and also it makes great radio. So uh, we'd love to keep an eye on it and also stay in touch with you, Tony. Um, thanks so much for your time and, and to bring us up to speed on that. Uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back on another time. I'll be great. Thanks very much, Daniel. Thanks, Tony. Bye. That was Tony uh, Weber, the Chief Executive of the Federal Chamber of Commerce, uh, of Automotive Industries, forgive me. Uh, we've got a little bit more coming up on uh, Fender Bender. We've got about 15 minutes left, so stick with us. I'd love to know. We were talking to uh, we were talking to Tony Weber, the chief, chief executive of the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, before uh, about parallel imports and personal imports. I'd love to know what your take on this is. Oh four two seven join nine four oh four two seven join nine four nine. How hard is that to remember? And I was actually reading it at that time as well. Or you can email on air at joy.org.au. Let let us know how you feel about personal imports. Um, in the meantime. We're going to talk about another new uh, revelation that happened just this week. Uh, one from Renault this time. And it is called Don't Laugh, The Quid. Mm. The Quid. Yes. I'd buy that for a few, Bob. Hey. You know, oh, I, oh, I, was, was, I wondered how long it was going to be before someone dropped in some kind of corny pun. And I support that. This is Fender Bender, after all. Uh, now, Mike, you have a little bit of a rant about yes, this car, don't yes, you? So because on the, on the surface, it looks like a, a, a pretty sensible little car. It's going to be for an emerging market. It's going to go on sale in India. But you have one particular bugbear with it, don't you? I do. The Renault Quid KWID, not QUID, like the British currency, uh, is colloquially called. And it really, uh, it sort of brought for me, brought up for me something that I've been quite concerned about for some time. Uh, deep down in the press release for this car, and, and look, this is a car for developing markets. It's a very cheap car. It's a $7,000 little four-wheel drive. You don't expect it to have radar-guided crews and blind spot monitoring and 12 airbags and all the modern safety bits. But this car doesn't even have ABS. ABS brakes being something that is a fundamental safety feature on every car sold here and is absolutely mandatory for a car to even get its you know, proverbial foot in the door. This car doesn't come with it. And Renault has openly said, look, if, if we want to sell it elsewhere, we can totally fit it. We can totally fit it if we want to sell this car in any market where it's mandatory. But the point is, Renault and Renault is far from the only culprit here, one of many car makers that are completely ignoring the safety needs of the developing world. Now, I'm not saying that budget cars that are sold in places you know, throughout Africa or Asia or other places should have all the safety tech. But surely some basics should be mandatory by now, and surely car makers should be leading the charge. So, hey, let's take a stand. Let's fit ABS. Let's fit ESC. Let's fit at least, ESC, at least two airbags to our vehicles. Mm. You know, it's not that expensive now when you're talking about production scale that they're working with. A little tiny chip bought from Bosch to control these things is not much money whatsoever. It's stingy, it's outrageous, and car makers are bilking developing markets and compromising their safety just because they can, and it's an absolute outrage, and it's really, really starting to drive me nuts. I'd be very interested to know exactly how much cost this does add to the car, because, it, as we say, it is a very cheap car. It equates to about the equivalent of 6000 Australian dollars, which is very cheap for a car. And you have to ask, where is this cost saving coming from? And, you know, sadly, one of the, the easiest things to cut cost in is safety. Um, but I would like to know the exact figures on that. How much does it cost? As you say, Mike, you know, it's the um, it's volumes of scale. You know, if you do make millions of ABS systems, it's, there's not a lot of hardware actually involved in it. Um, it's a pump, uh, an ECU, and some sensors, pretty much. 
much. That's not going to be an awful lot of cost added to it. So, But on a, on a very cheap car, even a little bit of extra is proportionally larger than if you were putting it on a Ferrari. You'd think it would be a selling point as well in a market that probably most models don't have ABS or ESC or any of these. And it's a completely unethical approach to say, look, the, car- the country doesn't require we fit these things, so we just won't. Yeah. What are they saying? If Australia didn't require ESC and ABS, that cars here wouldn't have that? You know, I, I know that it's big business and I know that it's, it's not about ethics, it's about the bottom line, but surely there is a cutting, there is a point here, you know, where you just have to say, look, we're just going to add it. It's a couple of extra bucks. It could save a few lives and, you know, let's just be half decent global we citizens. It, we do see it already anyway because we're obviously a, a, a wealthier market, so you have to raise the stakes a little bit to, say, reversing cameras. And you've talked about this. You've gone to great lengths to complain about a few brands that don't have reversing cameras as standard equipment mm. across the range. Again, not an expensive system to include, but because it's not mandated here, many of them choose not to include it or they make it an optional extra. The, the safety value in a reversing camera is without question, I would think. So take a stand on safety and include it in your cars. If it costs a little bit more, well, so be it. And the big the big insult here for me is Renault for a long time, and I don't mean to pick just on Renault because Renault is not the only company doing this. Most car makers are doing this, but Renault for a long time has pitched itself as a safety-oriented company. You know, it was the first car maker to get five ANCAP stars here. It really made a big deal of it back in the day. I know it's a different country, but nevertheless, this is completely in contrast to the corporate stance of a company that says it's safety-focused. It's safety-focused unless it's expedient not to be. That is all this car tells me. And it's a disgrace. Absolutely. I was actually on a, a launch recently, which curiously involved a segment of stunt driving. I'm not sure quite how that highlights the benefits of the new Holden Astra. But it, nonetheless, we were doing stunt driving. Newish. And one of the... Um, yes, yeah, good point, Mike. Um, one <laughs> of the exercises or stunts we were doing was actually pulling a complete 360-degree spin um, on a skid pan. And the way in which this is possible is we had to completely disable all of the ABS and electronic stability programs in the car and when you hit the brakes on two different varying surfaces the car just completely without a second to react was into a 360 degree spin and this is only sort of 10 years ago we're talking that these systems were mandated in australia you know and it it really highlighted just how utterly um helpless you are in some situations i had uh, before the liberty i had an older car that didn't have abs i held onto that car for way too long and i blocked up the brakes one day and it wasn't long after that that i decided it was time for an upgrade so to know that there are nations out there that don't have that advantage at all is frightening i wouldn't want to be driving there it is chilling isn't it Mm. don't forget to fasten your seatbelt. you are listening to fender bender on joy 94.9 talking about uh reasonably priced cars um, I've been driving one, actually, this last week. Are you and a it, star in one? It, it, well, I'd like to think so. It's only when I'm wearing minimal clothing, though. Um, I was actually driving Australia's second cheapest car. It is the Suzuki Celerio, uh, and that is a car that hasn't been without its fair share of controversy. But it is completely okay for Australian sale now. It is around about thirteen grand drive away, so it is the second uh, cheapest what car. What do you do? In actual fact, Cherry? it is no, it is the cheapest. If you because the Mirage is eleven nine ninety, but it's not driveway. Cost. Is it? oh, I see it. Okay. So if you, I did a price on the dealer website. If you price up a Mirage drive away and a yep. Celerio drive away, exactly the same price. Well, there you go. Mm. Well, I've been driving that car this week. And the car I got out of, actually, was a uh, Citroen DS3, which is not Australia's cheapest car. But, <laughs> but it is, uh, in many ways, very similar. It's a similar size. It's front-wheel drive. Uh, it is, um, it's, you know, a little sort of run-around. Uh, now then, which, which 
boys do you think I would prefer to drive? Oh, where's this we'll going? Oh. I know you, and I think I know the answer to this question. Yeah, but maybe I'm double bluffing. Maybe you are. <laughs> double Sneaky. Which did I have more fun driving? I know which one I've heard more good things about lately. A turbocharged 1.6-litre French hot hatch or a one-litre three-cylinder normally aspirated... Hot hatch is a stretch. All right. It's warm. <laughs> what I can say is having driven the Solerio at length myself, I know which I'd prefer, and if you're anything like me, you'd prefer the Solerio. That is absolutely right. Yes! I haven't driven it yet, but I loved the Alto. So I'm yeah, going to the go Alto. with the Solerio as well. So for those listening, um, the Alto was discontinued and it's effectively being replaced by Suzuki's tiny little compact front drive, the Solerio, which sounds a little bit like a vegetable. But mm-hmm. I have to say I was really surprised. But maybe it's that thing where you get into a car that costs 13 grand and you have ultra low expectations and you think this is just going to be dreadful. In actual fact, it just felt like, and this is the best way I can describe it, it's a real car. Well, Suzuki doesn't have a lot of technical development on its side in terms of, you know, it's not doing what the Germans or a lot of other Japanese brands are doing in advanced tech. But what it's very good at is basic level engineering. Just getting the basics right. It always has been, and it's always been a company strength. And the Solerio is exactly that. It's a really solid piece of work. And it's like a Mary Poppins bag on wheels. It's unbelievable how much you can fit into that car. You can fit four six-foot-plus adults and all the luggage you know, in, in, in a micro car. It's quite unbelievable. I like that you went for Mary Poppins and not a TARDIS. You know, it just it show, it shows how you know. Anyway, says more about me than the car, really, doesn't it? I, absolutely, I'm sticking with Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I didn't hover around creepily carrying a an umbrella when I drove the car, which is my impression of Mary Poppins. Um, I, I, she is Mary Poppins is creepy. I think about it. We had very different upbringings. Think about it. it. She's just this. She's this very mild mannered woman. She never breaks a sweat. She never gets angry. She just, yeah. like hovers around. She was just going to snap one day, wasn't she? Yeah, absolutely. That's. I think there's underlying waters here. I think she's. I think she's. A bad... Have you seen this on YouTube? There's a video. Someone's turned to Mary Poppins. They've spliced yes. it. And made it into a horror movie. Oh God. You type, I think it's type Mary Poppins hop, horror into yeah, YouTube. It's It'll come up. It's unbelievable. My point exactly. Yes, I think you'll. I think you'll agree with us there. Mary Poppins is terrifying. Anyway, look. That was the. Suzuki Solerio for me. I thought it was fantastic. If you're in the market considering um, a very affordable, small car um, with very few frills, but is actually surprisingly good to drive, I found it really seriously good fun. And the Suzuki Solerio is one that you may want to consider. What do you think? Certainly better than a Mirage, in my opinion. Do you think so? Mm. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Better than the same price. That is the uh, sorry, the Mirage sedan. mm -hmm. Mm. That is the Fender Bender seal of approval for Suzuki Solerio. And with that, gentlemen. I'm afraid to say it's almost time to go. Okay. <laughs> that, was such, that was such a lovely reaction. You genuinely sounded very... Oh, to cheer you up, I'm going to play you the one with skid marks. Fender Bender. Guaranteed to leave skid marks? And I like the, I like the sort of questionative... <laughs> the inflection has changed there, hasn't it? I like that, yes, yeah. very much. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being uh, on Fender Bender, bringing your uh, charismatic personalities and your infinite knowledge of cars. Always a pleasure. It, and we hope to have you back very soon. Mike, you're a, you're a stalwart to the uh, Fender Bender studios. Yes. We'll have you back again next week. I might not be able to make it, but Tim Nicholson will definitely be back at the helm next week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, also, thanks to Tony Weber uh, for speaking to us about Parallel Imports. We'll keep up to the money on that. Uh, and coming up next, we have Technogaze with the fabulous uh, Michael, Mark and Rena. Uh, and until next week, that just leaves me to say, drive safely, of course. And as a little treat for you, I'm going to play some, uh, yeah, obviously it's going to be some aqua, but after a couple of <laughs> <messages>. <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening. My name is Daniel Gardner. This is Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. This has been a Fender Bender podcast for Joy 94.9, Australia's first and only gay and lesbian radio station. See joy.org.au for more details. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.